Welcome to the Civil War Regiments podcast, here to provide you with the reading of accounts of the common soldiers of the American Civil War, the eyewitnesses who lived, fought, suffered, and died through five years of brutal conflict. It is my hope that the reading of these accounts will make history come alive for you and offer a better understanding of daily life during the American Civil War. Today's account is from To Live and Die in Dixie, A History of the 3rd Mississippi Infantry by H. Grady Howell, Jr., an entry by Private Henry Clay Sharkey. Sharkey served as a private in Company C of the 3rd Mississippi Infantry. The regimental history notes Sharkey was a good soldier to count on, but his boyish pranks often landed him in the guardhouse. Boyish pranks aside, the following account takes a more serious tone as Sharkey writes of an incident during the Atlanta campaign. Amidst the carnage of battle, while foraging for food, Sharkey stumbled upon a home still occupied by a woman and her family. Concerned for their safety being in range of the enemy's artillery, they pleaded for the family to get to safety. Here follows Sharkey's account. When the two armies of General Joe E. Johnston faced that of General W.T. Sherman of superior force and equipment in 1864, from Resaca to Atlanta, Georgia, our command was withdrawn from a line of entrenchment on the range of mountains, and again required to entrench about halfway up the mountainside. As this movement was at night, the line was formed and the soldiers began the work of digging in. Each relief dug rapidly for 20 minutes and rested 40 minutes all night long as we sought protection when daylight apprised the enemy of our position. My squad of diggers was relieved, and the nearness of day was loudly proclaimed by a cock of no imported breed, but the usual sandhill cracker fell of that section. This was an unusual sound in my ears, and seemed to remind me of stewed chicken. I suppose this cock had been overlooked in the hurried retreat of its owner. I, having forty minutes for rest, thought I needed a chicken stew more than a rest. I went back to inspect the condition and save this rooster from some thieving soldier. As I neared the small log hut, a woman came to gather some chips to start a fire for breakfast. She was dressed in homespun clothes, and her hair a slightly gray color hung disarranged. As the hut was on top of the mountain, and I knew that the enemy's artillery, when they found our position, would begin a deadly fire as they had done for weeks, I went to the low rail fence and told this lady of her danger and the necessity of removal at once, not forgetting the rooster. Her reply was, We cannot move. We will stay. Another lady came out. After hearing us talking, I told them that their position was more dangerous than ours, as we had dug ditches and thrown up the dirt for protection. But we cannot go over the mountain, as our father is paralyzed and cannot walk a step. We have no shelter, and all we have is here, said one lady. I thought, You may think you will stay, but the first shell that bursts on this mountain will add to your haste in getting over the mountain. I thought a little more about that lonely cock that would be left in their hurry. I returned to the company, told the captain of those folks only about 300 yards behind us. Go tell the colonel, said the captain. I told the colonel and he told me to go to General Featherston and tell him. I did so, still thinking of the rooster and its danger. Tell Colonel Mellon to send a detail to move those people, said General Featherston. Colonel Mellon had six men detailed and told me to have a bush arbor made in a secure place on the other side of the mountain, and carried a father there on his bed. 
I went feeling perfectly sure the rooster would be left. When I came to the hut and told my orders, the two women had a low consultation, and we, knowing soon the cannon would be firing, took the helpless old man upon the mattress. One of the women bundled up some things and we went over the mountain. She selected a place to build the arbor, which was soon done. I told the men we would go and bring the other household effects. When I told the lone woman what we had come for, she said, I will stay here, as all we have in the world is right here, and I will cook and carry to my sister and father. I believe the lady thought she would stay, but I was sure she was mistaken, as she had never heard the humming sound of a shell and the spitting fire of the fuse as it sought a victim to show its power of destruction. I gave up getting the brazen bragging rooster till after the firing began. About ten o'clock, the cannons began to send searching shells to locate our position, some too high, which burst in our rear. I was sure these had killed the rooster and run off the brave mistress, who perhaps had waited to test her loyalty to duty. At sunset, their cannons ceased, and I went to find the remains of the hut and perhaps the rooster. I found the hut still standing, and only one corner of the roof struck. But the wattled fence of the garden was a wreck. A tree in the yard had its limbs sheathed off. But the brave, duty-loving woman was still there guarding the household effects and the rooster. Who but a woman would show such devotion to duty? Were I to be asked what the bravest act I ever saw shown, I would reply, a woman of Georgia whose bravery beat me out of a chicken stew. Who of our bravest or brave Americans would volunteer to stand guard over a pot and a skillet and an old dunghill rooster except a woman on duty's call? Private Henry Clay Sharkey, 3rd Mississippi Infantry.